Welcome everyone to Catalyst Church. Uh, my name is JR. I'm the teaching pastor here along with Nathan, our worship director, and a couple of our volunteers in the background. I'll let introduce themselves later if they uh, so choose to. Uh, but I, I wanted to welcome you to another edition of our Catalyst at home worship. Uh, we have been worshiping virtually for the, this first part of the new year, and that is because, uh, obviously, of the Omicron variant. Uh, we're trying to continue to stay safe, and uh, you know, my, I, I know that a number of us either work in healthcare or have loved ones that do. We know that uh, our hospitals are becoming overwhelmed again, and so we're trying to do our part uh, to keep our community safe, to be good neighbors, and to continue to be faithful, even as we, you know, as we're having to worship this way. Uh, I want to assure all of you, as I'm sure you know, I. I uh, don't love doing these things virtually. I love it much more when we're all able to worship together. And uh, but, but we're doing what we feel is is necessary and right. So Nathan and I are sort of making the best of a bad situation, uh, trying to have fun here with this this uh, at home live version. So we're glad you're with us today. If you were here early, you might have known. Uh, you might have seen us. <laughs> playing around with some of the software that we've been using. We've been having a lot of fun. We figured out how to add um, add comments. So, for instance, uh, Tim Baslin just saw that Azul is in the background and commented good game back there. It is a great game, absolutely. So uh, as we're going, uh, as we're doing stuff, Dave, if you, if you have a comment you want to add, you never know if it might get uh, featured. So, uh, again, we're just trying to continue to feel as though we're able to be together even though we're virtual. And in that, in that spirit, since we are uh, kicking off the new year, I wanted to talk about an experience that I think more and more and more of us are having, uh, particularly as the pandemic wears on, and that's the experience of loneliness. Um, that's something that, that I, uh, I think for a lot of my life really w was something I experienced and would try to keep at bay. Um, I think from the time I was about 10 on, I, I would experience intense bouts of loneliness. I say ten, I know 10 very specifically because uh, my parents moved in the middle of my fourth grade year. Uh, and so I don't know if you if you ever when you're in school had to move. Uh, but it's hard enough when you move at the beginning of a school year and you start with, uh, you know, a whole new group of kids. It's even worse when you move in the middle of a year and you have to, like, come into a classroom as the new kid when everyone's already sort of established. Um, so, so, you know, I left a group of really, really good friends and then moved into a place where I, I didn't know anyone. I was trying to make new friends. And it was really it was something that was really hard. Uh, it, it, and, and, you know, for a lot of years after that, I would frequently experience loneliness. I, you know, uh, this will, I'm sure, shock no one, but I was a kid that got picked last for most uh, athletic activities. <laughs> uh, and, you know, even all the way through high school, I would say, I, you know, I didn't really have a lot of close friends. And so there were a lot of times that experienced loneliness. Um, as I as I went into college, that that is something that sort of continued even into my to my late 20s. I, I you know, and I, I got married uh, in my late 20s. And so uh, a lot of people, I think, have this idea that if you're a lonely person, you get married, that fixes everything. And of course, folks who are married know that that's not true at all. Uh, yeah, I have a wonderful wife who is amazing, um, but, but loneliness isn't really something that comes from external. It's something that I've learned over the years comes from an experience uh, internally. And so uh, even, though, even though I got married and we have um, you know, a, a very good relationship and she's someone that I consider my best friend and very close companion, uh, that's not something uh, that has like, cured my loneliness. And I, and I share all of that to say that uh, 
I want to talk about this today because I think as the pandemic wears on, more and more and more of us have been experiencing deep-seated loneliness. Uh, it's something that comes when everything gets stripped away, like our ability to get together regularly to see people in person, things like that. And, and I know we've kind of opened back up and then it, it goes back and forth whether we're seeing people or not. But uh, one thing I've heard over and over and over, uh, and it was something that was on the rise before the pandemic, but it's something the, the pandemic has certainly exacerbated, is the idea that that a, a large percentage of American adults and, and American teens experience loneliness regularly and deeply. And so that's what I want to talk about today. And, and I, want to, I want to sort of temper your expectations. I don't have a cure for loneliness necessarily. What I, what I want to talk about today is, is sharing some of the things that we find in scripture about who God is. And it is a it is a way of, of engaging with God that I think does address that deep need that loneliness speaks to, that need to be seen, that need to be valued. Um, because again, it's something, that, it's something that begins with being in connection and in tune with our creator. And so uh, I wanted to begin today uh, with Nathan leading us in some music to, to sing together, to celebrate together, and then I wanted to dive into our message. So uh, we're gonna sing one song now and then do another. We're kinda, since we're doing that at home, we're gonna kinda break things up a little bit. So we'll do one now, one kinda halfway through the message and then one at the end. Uh, but if you, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hand it back over to Nathan now and um, uh, get, oh my gosh, I just completely blanked. Well, here's what I was trying to say. We're gonna do communion and I forgot to say that. So uh, we're gonna do communion. So I hope you have some elements for that. <laughs> No, we'll go, I'll go get some while Nathan leads us in this next song. I'll get us ready. You can feel free to do the same if you haven't gotten any yet uh, as well. So, um, so I'm going to go get us some communion elements. Nathan, if you would take us over and lead us. By the way, uh, because we are at home, I know I keep handing it to you and then taking it back. That's so rude of me. But I just wanted to make sure you knew that because we are doing this uh, at home edition today, we don't have lyrics on the screen. So if you know the songs by heart, uh, congrats, you're better than me. Um, but but that's awesome. I, I, wasn't, I, I didn't intend that to be a dig. I just meant that's awesome. Uh, if you don't, if like me, you need the words, you can look. You can find them in our virtual beaker, uh, which is at the link in the, in the description below the video. So all of the lyrics of the songs we're singing today are in there, along with the scriptures we're going to be reading in the message. So uh, as I hand it back over to Nathan for real this time, grab some communion elements, get those lyrics open, and uh, Nathan, let's sing. Uh, welcome back, everyone. <laughs> Uh, Sue wanted to know about my shirt, which I appreciated because I wore it on purpose and I felt like your shirt was getting all the attention. So this is the Creature from the Black Lagoon shirt. And it actually does tie into my message a little bit because we're talking about being rescued out of the waters. So uh, watch, watch for it. It'll come later though, you gotta wait for it. So uh, we, are, we are beginning a new series because this is the first Sunday of Epiphany. So uh, in the church calendar, we begin our year with Advent, which is that season of waiting, anticipating, uh, exploring our need for Jesus and what it means for Jesus to come into our lives. And then uh, that builds us into Christmas, where we celebrate that Jesus has come into the world. We celebrate God as the one who is with us. And so then Epiphany asks, well, well, who is this God who is with us, right? Because uh, God is a a three-letter generic word. Actually, so uh, in my Bible college that I went to, um, we had a philosophy professor that everyone loved, and there were all of these like legends about you know how his his final was a one-word question and all this kind of stuff. None of it was really true, but it was that kind of stuff. But literally, I remember the day that he came in. We all came in, and it said uh, on the board, "God does not exist," and which of course at a, at a midwestern small private Christian university was 
like outrageously scandalous, right? Uh, but his, his point in all of that was that the word God is generic. It doesn't actually tell us anything about the deity. Anyone can, compl- can claim to believe in God, uh, and that doesn't t- really tell us anything. And so that's sort of what, what Epiphany is for. Epiphany asks the question, well, who is this God who is with us? Who is this one that we claim to worship? And so uh, our Epiphany series this year is called Deep Breaths, and it's a play on the idea that in Greek and in Hebrew, the word breath can also mean spirit. So what we're doing here at the beginning of our calendar year, uh, which is typically a time that's reserved for like resolutions and making new commitments and starting new habits and like work, 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 gearing up for the year, we decided to take some deep breaths, right? Both... Uh, literally and figuratively, we want to begin our year not by going 110 miles an hour, but by taking time to breathe in of God's Holy Spirit, to fill our lungs with the one who brings us life. And so we're doing that by considering who this God is. And I think one of the best ways to do that is to ask uh, a question that I know keeps all of us up at night, which is, why in the world did Jesus get baptized? I know, I know it's hard to imagine why uh, you made it this far in life without having a good answer to that question, right? It's when we ask it around dinner tables, uh, probably starts a lot of fights at Thanksgiving, all that kind of, right? Uh, but but in, in all seriousness, uh, though I know that that's not a question we ask very often, it is, I think, an important one. It's one that the early church asked quite a lot. Uh, and, and if you think about it, it is kind of a strange event uh, because we we know that Jesus was sinless, right? He never he never sinned, and yet at the beginning of his earthly ministry, like the first thing that he does when he sets out to accomplish God's will in the world to fulfill his calling, the first thing he does is go to the Jordan River to a guy named John who is his cousin, but that's not relevant at this point. Just we should note it, you know. Um, and he submits to baptism. John is in the Jordan River and people are coming from all over Palestine to receive his baptism. And Jesus just is one of them who comes down and receives baptism. And that's, it's in his baptism when the the Holy Spirit comes upon him like a dove. And then God says, this is my beloved son. I'm very pleased with him, do he says. So there's this big momentous event. It kickstarts Jesus's public ministry. But the question remains, why was he there in the first place if he did not need to be baptized, right? It's a strange, it's a strange event. And again, if you read the various gospels accounts of how it happened, uh, you get, you can see them struggling with this tension. We're going to sort of set that aside for a moment and come back to it. Because I think if we, if we hang out with John and then some of John's influences, that'll become more clear what Jesus was doing in the baptismal waters. So John uh, was famous not just for baptizing people, but for his, um, like his ensemble, right? If you know, if you know two things about John, you know that his nickname was the baptizer or John the Baptist, right? And the other thing you probably know is that he wore camel skin and ate locusts and honey, um, which were not delicacies, right? Uh, bugs and, I mean, honey's nice, right? But locusts, less nice. Um, John lived in the desert, which was, which was uh, the wilderness area on the far side of the Jordan River, basically out in the sticks, right? And John's whole deal, the locusts and honey and the prophesying and the baptizing and living in the desert, 
all of this was a, an intentional choice by him that was meant to evoke a lot of the prophets from Israel's history. So it would be sort of like, imagine it was getting to be election time and you had one candidate who dressed in uh, like 17th century British colonial garb and he kept talking about how he had come across the Potomac with an important message. Right. We would all understand that this person was trying to cast himself as one of the founding fathers. Right, that all of this uh, dress and behavior was to tie himself into American history. Well, that's what people understood when they saw John. Right, they didn't just say, "Well, that guy has a weird diet," or "Well, he has a strange fashion sense." They understood that John was tying himself into the prophetic tradition of God's people. So, what we're going to do then is go back and look at one of those prophets, one of the prophets that a lot of the early church tied to John's ministry, and that's the prophet Isaiah. So if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn with me to Isaiah 43. And again, this is also all in the virtual beaker if you want to find it there. Uh, now, as you're turning there, I'm clicking over there as well, uh, you will find that I, Isaiah, this, this section of Isaiah was addressed to the Israelites who were in exile. So again, they had been conquered. They had been forcibly deported to Babylon. Their entire, their entire culture had been gutted and destroyed. And now the prophet is conveying a message to them from God. And the prophet wants them to understand the exile experience as a second slavery. Now I say second slavery because if you were an Israelite, if you're one of God's people, your heritage was as an enslaved people that God had liberated from Egypt in the Exodus experience, right? That's the Charlton Heston, Red Sea, 10 plagues, you know, column of smoke and fire, uh, 10 commandments, all that whole thing. That, that was this, that was this sort of primeval experience that God's people had when they thought of themselves they were the people that God had liberated from slavery much like Americans think of ourselves as the original revolutionaries right what does it mean to be an American well it's you know standing up to tyranny well it was the same for the for the what does it mean to be a, a part of God's people we're the liberated ones right and so God is asking the 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 people who are in exile not to understand this as an exile, but as a second slavery. They've, they've been taken back to Egypt, so to speak. And that's important because of the way slavery functioned in the ancient world. Uh, I think one of the areas where uh, our American history sort of gets in the way of biblical history is how different the, uh, the American institution of chattel slavery was from the slavery we saw in the biblical world. Um, both were economic, but in the American uh, system of slavery, the, the economic engine was designed uh, such that this, this one group of people was born to be enslaved, and that was who they were and all they were, and their sole purpose was to enrich those who, who enslaved them. The biblical system was not like that. In, 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 in the biblical system, we see that you could actually, if, if your family was experiencing a hard time, you could sell yourself or one of your children into slavery, and then you could actually buy yourself or your child back out of slavery. It was called being redeemed or ransomed out of slavery. Uh, and, and there were even provisions set up in the biblical law so that uh, you couldn't be enslaved for more than one generation or so. Um, so that, that at the end of 40 years, you would all the slaves would be set free, liberated, all the lands returned to them, and it would all sort of reset. Um, 
it was this, it was a sort of way of God, even then instituting justice and keeping slavery from becoming what it became in, in our country. So uh, all of that to say, I, I say all of that because you're going to hear language in here about slavery and about ransom. And this is what I want you to hear, right? That God is claiming the people who are in exile as God's own family. So let's read from the prophet Isaiah. Let's hear what God is saying to the exiles, those who are languishing in this experience of being completely devastated, being culturally gutted, and asking that question, how much longer is this going to go on? Which again, I have a suspicion, those of us who are in the midst of this pandemic are wondering that. Like, we sort of thought we were past it, and now with these new variants, it feels like we're almost back to square one, maybe square two, right? And we're wondering how much longer is this going to go on? Um, this, is, this is a similar emotional state to what those exiles were experiencing. So I, I hope we can hear the prophet's words to them and hear God's good news for us. So here's what God says in Isaiah 43. We're going to read verses 1 and 2 and then skip down to verses 5 through 7. God says, but now, O Jacob... Listen to the Lord who created you. Right there, I think it's interesting that God begins at the beginning. God identifies God's self to the exiles as their creator, right? So God starts at the very beginning of their story and says, I'm the one who made you. I'm the one who created you, and then moves on from there. Oh, Israel, the one who formed you says, do not be afraid, for I have ransomed you. That's that slavery language, right? By saying that God has ransomed them, God is claiming them as God's own family. They are not forsaken. They are not abandoned. They are beloved and chosen by God as God's own family. Uh, then God moves on to, to really draw in some of the Exodus language. I have called you by name and you are mine. When you go through the deep waters, I will be with you. When you go through rivers of difficulty, you, are not, you will not drown. There are some references to the Red Sea and the parting of the Jordan River, which sort of bracket the exit from Egypt and the entrance into the promised land. So in all of these spaces, God is saying to these people who feel lost, who feel abandoned, who feel like no one is with them, God is saying, I am your family. I claim you. You belong to me. When you go through deep times of despair, and feeling alone, you should know that you are not alone. I am with you. And then I want to read uh, just verses 5 through 7 here. God says, Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I will gather you and your children from the east and the west. Uh, this is language, again, that we just read. We're like, oh, that's nice. But to the exiles, it would have really resonated because they, be, they had begun to refer to themselves as the scattered, the, the diaspora. And the image there is of a farmer scattering seed. So that they said, what we, we feel as though God just reached God's hand down into you know, the, the seed bag that was Judea and just like threw us all over the world. We're the scattered. And so God says, I will gather you and your children from the east into the west. I will say to the north and the south, bring my sons and daughters back to Israel from the distant corners of the earth. Bring all who claim me as their God, for I have made them for my glory. It was I who created them. Again, to this, to this group of people who feels lost, who feels abandoned, who feels hopeless, God is making some powerful, profound statements here. God is saying, I am the one who created you and knows you. I am the one who calls you my family. I am the one who is with you in these deep, dark times. And I am the one who is continuing to work for your good. Your story is not over here. Something good is coming. So 
when we go back to Jesus and we say, why, why did Jesus get baptized if he didn't do anything wrong, if he never sinned? Well, we see that Jesus is acting out the same pattern that God has always acted out. By stepping down into those waters, Jesus is saying, yeah, I know I didn't do anything wrong, but you're my family. So if you're in this, I'm in this with you. Jesus' baptism is an act of divine solidarity. We were told in the Christmas story that Jesus would be God with us. Now we're seeing that in the waters of baptism. Jesus enters the waters of baptism because that's where we are. And Jesus is with us. As we go down under the water, Jesus says, no matter how deep you go, no matter how dark the times, no matter how much you suffer, I am with you. And of course, coming back up and leaving the water is Jesus' way of saying, this is not the end of a story. This is just the beginning, as it was for Jesus. This was the beginning of his earthly ministry. This was his way of showing us that he was not only with us, but also working within us and around us for good news. So, so the question that's before us is whether we can claim Jesus's work for ourselves. Can we hear these promises that he has made? Can we believe that Jesus calls us his own family? Can we believe that Jesus is with us no matter how dark the times, no matter how alone we feel, no matter how isolated we get? Can we believe that Jesus is with us? And can we believe that this is not the end of the story? Can we believe that our best days are ahead of us, that God is still with us, that Jesus is not only with us, but working to bring good? Those are the questions that are posed by Jesus' baptism. And, and before we move on to talk about what that means for us today, I, I think it's worth singing again. So Nathan, I'd love to pass it back over to you to, to do some more worship. Uh, so when we originally planned this series out, we had this really fun idea to bring in our staff counselor, Dr. Phil, not not that Dr. Phil, the good Dr. Phil, our Dr. Phil, uh, Dr. Phil Ortiz. And uh, basically each week when we would talk about whatever was in the scriptures for that week, then we would ask Phil to sort of react to that and engage that from a counseling perspective. Uh, so we were all ready to go on that. And then earlier this week, Phil emailed me and he said, hey, so I've got COVID. <laughs> and uh, wow. So uh, he's vaccinated and boosted. So he's doing okay. Uh, okay, relatively speaking, right? But he said at least for the next week or two, he's not obviously not going to be able to do our counseling moments. So then it fell back to me. And as you know, I'm not a counselor. I'm a pastor. So uh, we're not going to do a counseling moment today. But I did want to talk about a spiritual practice that I think helps us experience God's presence with us. Because it's it's one thing, I think, to, to know this, that God is with us, that God names us as God's own family, uh, that God is with us. Uh, but it's another thing to experience that, to sort of live in it. And uh, over, I would say over the last probably three or four years, I have been learning about uh, prayer and meditation that is really oriented more towards being in God's presence and acknowledging God's presence with me than it is about getting something or achieving something or asking for something or all of, all of the things I sort of grew up learning that prayer was. Um, I mean, even, even like uh, the, 
but now I lay me down to sleep, right? Like it's like that's that is a that is a thing that you start it, you finish it, and then you go to bed, right? Um, it's not really about just sitting and experiencing the presence of God. And so when we talk about this, you know, this this deep loneliness that we feel so often, when we talk about our inability to to receive God's solidarity with us, uh, or our inability to feel God with us, I think a lot of times that's because we just haven't been taught what it is like simply to exist with God. And, you know, that really rubs against our culture because our culture is so production and productivity oriented. And so if I dedicate five or 10 or 15 minutes to an experience that's that doesn't have an output or an outcome, it doesn't have a, a measurable, uh, you know, insert business language synergy here, uh, it, you know, if it doesn't have that, then, then we then we, it feels worthless. It feels like a waste of time. And yet, uh, I think the reason, uh, one reason that our spirituality is so deeply counterintuitive and countercultural is because uh, in order for us to experience God's solidarity with us, we, we have to set down our desire to achieve or produce or earn and just simply receive, which which we don't like to do. We don't like to be in a position of vulnerability or weakness where where someone is above us or stronger than us. And yet this this act of divine humility uh, is one that we need to do. And so that's where for me personally, I found prayer and meditation in this particular regard uh, really good. It's hard. Uh, I'm a person whose brain is running a mile a minute. And it's very, it, it, it's very much a discipline for me to learn to to shut that off and just to rest and just to receive from God. So uh, I, I want to share with you, if you've never really done Christian meditation before, which is a particular kind of meditation, right? There's lots of different kinds of meditation. But Christian meditation is about um, attending to God's spirit within us and around us. Uh, attending to, as Paul says, the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead, who is now alive and at work within us. And so what I like to do when I move into a space of meditation is take just a simple verse, uh, or maybe even a, a simple lyric from a song, and just repeat that over and over. And use it. I use it sort of as a focus and an anchor from my mind, because again, my thoughts just go everywhere. And so having having that phrase that, uh, that I can use sort of uh, some 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 uh, spiritual director, directors call it a breath prayer because that's one you can say in a single breath, right? So uh, one of the ones I, I like is, uh, you know, G uh, Jesus Christ, son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner, which is what one of the blind men calls out to Jesus to get his attention in, in one of the gospels. Uh, it can be that. It can be a verse that you prefer. It can be a song from Catalyst that you find, that you find moving and meaningful. Uh, but it, the idea is just to take that, and then to spend some time with God, five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes, where you begin by asking the Holy Spirit to be with you, to be present with you. And then you just spend that time with no agenda other than simply sitting in God's loving gaze and allowing God to love us. Uh, it sounds so weird, I know, and it feels weird at first because it is so radically countercultural. Um, but I'm telling you, the more that we make a practice of doing this, 
the more we begin to sit into God's love for us and the more our very identity becomes grounded in the creator's love for us and in the things that the creator names us rather than all of the things that we've gathered from our jobs, from our families, from the world at large. Uh, so it is a very difficult practice to learn, but it, it, it has quickly become an essential and absolutely life-giving practice uh, for me. And so, again, I don't have any counseling wisdom for you, but I do have that, uh, that, in, that, uh, that offering for you to, to consider what it would look like for you to try to meditate on God's love for you and just sit in the loving gaze of God this week. Because I think when we do that, we will find that God names us as God's own family. God assures us that no matter how deep the darkness is, and I know a lot of us have had some very dark times. We've mourned loved ones lost. Uh, we've experienced job losses, right? We've experienced that deep existential uh, despair and loneliness that has come upon so many of us during the pandemic. And we've wondered how much longer, oh Lord, how much longer? And again, I don't have any answers for any of those things. But what I can tell you is that the same God who spoke to the exiles, the same God who freed the slaves from Egypt, is the same God who entered into the waters of baptism, not for himself, but for our sakes. That's the same God who continues to be with us now, who will be with us throughout this next year, no matter what it holds. And so uh, as we continue to worship, I want to invite you to the communion table. Uh, again, as, as a divine act of solidarity with us, God shares a meal with us and offers up his own body and blood so that we might be rescued and made new. Uh, it was during the meal that Jesus broke bread and gave it to his followers as his body and gave them wine as his blood as a way to affirm for them that he was preparing a place for them. And so we too now are going to celebrate that as well. Uh, before we move into a time of communion, I'm going to give us a time of guided prayer. I'm going to give you some questions and give us some time to sit silently with them. And then after we have had time to pray silently together, I'm going to pray for all of us and then we will receive communion. So here is the first question I want you to consider. Uh, when in the last week have you experienced God? Now, when in this last week have you felt an absence of God?
Think about the week that's ahead of you. When in this next week might you not sense God with you? And finally, how can you make space to attend to God's presence with you this week? What does it look like for you to carve out some time? Let's pray together. God, you have gathered us today that we might uh, receive this simple and yet incredibly challenging message that you are with us, that you choose to live in solidarity with us, even in the midst of our rebellion. You choose to call us your family. You choose to rescue us. We confess today that we uh, have a lot of anxiety, a lot of questions, a lot of unknowns about the future. That so often when the new year is meant to be a time of joy and anticipation, a lot of us are facing it with dread, with uncertainty. And so we receive today the good news of your son who parted the waters of baptism, not for his own sake, but for ours. Who comes among us and names us as his brothers and sisters co-heirs to the glory that he had, his death made possible. So too, we come to this table where we bring whatever elements we've been able to cobble together this morning. We pray that in these moments, they would be a spiritual food, and that in receiving them together, we might also be receiving your love and your grace. Know that you are with us, even in our darkest places, even in our darkest times. And that because of your good work and your faithfulness towards us, we can know that the best is yet to come. We offer these prayers now and approach your table in the name of your son, Jesus. Uh, That night that Jesus was betrayed, the meal that he shared with his disciples, he took bread and broke it and gave it to them and said, this is my body broken for you. Take it and eat it. When the meal was over, he gave them a cup of wine and he said, this is my blood poured out for the forgiveness of sins. Take it and drink it. And so now we too eat and drink. And as we do, we announce Jesus' death until he returns. Uh, Catalyst, again, I want to thank you for your uh, faithfulness and flexibility during this time. We know it is uh, just a weird, hard time, (laughs) and I'm thankful that we can get through it together, navigate it together. Uh, Continue to take care of one another this week. Continue to pray for one another. Uh, And again, stay tuned to our channels where we'll be announcing what worship is going to look like uh, over the next couple of weeks. Uh, And as you're going, I just want to challenge you. 
uh, try some meditation and prayer this week that's not about asking or earning or achieving, but instead just receiving God's uh, love for you. Uh, the only way we're going to make it through this time together is if we uh, rest confident in God's love. And uh, I'm thankful that as we begin this series, when we begin this year, we're beginning it with that affirmation that God is with us, that God chooses to live in solidarity with us. So Catalyst, as you go this week, would you go with that confidence that God calls you God's own child? God claims you as family. That no matter how dark the times you're experiencing, God is present with you and that God is preparing good things for us. Looking forward to the series, looking forward to being with you in this new year, whatever with you actually ends up looking like. Uh, and I want to send you now in the grace and peace of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We'll see you next week.